Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, I'm Rob Schneider. And I'm Kevin David Thomas. And this is Behind the Curtain, Broadway's Living Legends. Don't forget forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Broadway Curtain. And make sure to join our Facebook page at Behind the Curtain Broadway's Living Legends. Our guest this week is our first guest on this podcast to hold a place in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most performances in the same Broadway show, that show being The Phantom of the Opera. But before he made that majestic theater his second home, he was seen in such musicals as A Little Night Music on the 20th Century and Merlin. And even though he may not remember Christmas here to remember all those shows and all those people is George Lee Andrews hi George, hi George. thanks for being with us today I thanks like for that being star- with me that starting here starting now reference was nice Rob yeah, well thank you. Nice. thank you I want to I want to get your side of this way nice. okay good. Uh, dinner theater in Florida yes, yes. Not dancing on the roof right the yeah, French, that. French oh, mafia oh, dancing on the roof. <laughs> wait a minute we didn't you, get any dancing did. on the roof no, tell <laughs> us about dancing on the roof please well I had a thing where what was it my birthday I have this thing where I streak on my birthday every every year in your birthday suit in my birthday suit yes and imagine those poor guys at Phantom had to see that I mean year after year they just couldn't wait for it I bet but But the audience loved it either it was just exuberance or something but I tried to talk those girls Margie and Lonnie into Uh into I said oh I know why it was because this building was surrounded by um highways and so you could go up on the roof of this building and it was just highways going by all around you there was nothing close by right directly below just highways zooming off perfect and so i said let's go up here and we need to dance naked on the roof so would you come with me and do it and so i talked them talked them into it and i think though that they wore um cellophane uh bags from the costumes because right. they didn't want to be totally naked, right. so we but little class, we, yeah. little class. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But we went up on the roof and danced a little while like that, and that was it. But yes, I did go out in the lobby and start screaming while the audience was still there. <laughs> well, what happened was they had a car for us. It was like a rental car that, and I never used it because I had my own car. The girls had it, and they had a little fender bender with mm-hmm. it. At the end of the the end of the show, the end of the run, they gave us our paychecks. And my paycheck was, they deducted from my paycheck the money to re- repair this car. <laughs> 
And so I'm like, I, I looked at that and I just went ballistic. Then I went out into the lobby while the audience was still there <laughs> and started ranting and raving about this management has not paid. You just saw this show tonight. Didn't you think it was a wonderful show? The management has not paid us properly for this. And I just I just did this Good thing. for you. I've never I think that's done. right. Good for you, George. Now, where did you grow up, George? Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Oh. And was your family involved in the theater? Uh, well, my, uh, no. No one, my mom sang around the house continuously. Mm. And she, they, I sang in church and I sang in high school. And uh, when I got out of high school, I didn't know what I was going to do. I was in the seminary for some months oh. and then oh. got out of there. And then I got into, uh, there was an actor named Bobby Lee. Do you know him? Bobby Lee. He was my cousin. He had All a Broadway right. career. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he was in the comedy with us. Oh, yes. And so uh, he got me into a, into a show. And I was talking to my dad one day. My dad was a park supervisor. And I said, Dad, why do I have this feeling about being on the stage? I really feel just really at home on the stage. But there's nothing in our past that would say anything about that. And he said, oh, didn't I ever tell you about the Lee Brothers Circus? Ooh, the Lee Brothers <laughs> wow, Circus? So my dad and had four brothers. And in my dad's early days, he was the youngest. All those brothers were in show business. They were in all kinds of levels. They were on stage. They were stage managers. They were press agents. My even my dad uh, rode around in in train cars, uh, posting bills before shows in his younger years. Wow! So they were all involved in show business, which I never knew of because he started a new life when he got with my mom wow. in Milwaukee, and. Uh, so this was not anything ever brought up. Must have been and revolutionary to you. I it mean, was, like, yeah, it was amazing. All of a sudden, I thought, oh, well, I do have this. So it is in your blood. Whole yeah. thing in my blood here. So, so, uh, but there was nothing going on except church and yeah. school when I was a kid. And uh, but there was a small theater in Milwaukee called the Fred Miller Theater. Ah, the Fred Miller Theater. And so, right out of the seminary, I got into <laughs> Song of Norway, and <laughs> that then and never alone. looked back. Never yeah. looked back. I, I was going to try. I tried to go to college but I was falling asleep during all my classes because I was doing nightclub reviews at night I told my dad and my mom I said I'm gonna uh, drop out of college and I'm gonna do this theater thing because I have work right now mm -hmm. and and then in five years I'll go back to school and if, if nothing's happening and yeah. I'll go back to school right. and so uh, but that was the end of it, of course. That was I the never, end of it, yeah. Were, but, your, were your parents okay with you saying, I'm going, I'm leaving? They were fine. I, they were great, and my dad, they were, they were proud, and they had a great time with it. They followed me around the country at different shows, and they, they loved it. My That's, dad said, just do whatever you want to do, what you can do, what you love, do that. What supportive parents. That's really oh, nice great. to hear. Lucky, really man. nice to hear. Yeah. yeah. So did you go to New York immediately after? No. I actually stayed out in the what you would might call the hinterlands, but we uh -huh. didn't call them that then. I mean, it was Chicago, Milwaukee, yep. Denver, you know, it was yeah. big cities in the Midwest. And I stayed out there for really for 10 years. Wow. wow. So you're yeah. a regional theater actor. Yeah. And dinner theater and yeah. nightclub reviews and industrial shows and business theater they called industrial shows in yes. those days and um yes i stayed out there because i was working and actually i had a i started a family and um <clears throat> so i didn't i didn't come to new york till i felt like i really could compete right you really learned everything from doing it really i mean you, you and know. i was doing uh, i was able to do i finally worked myself up into leads out there yeah. in shows you know and then <laughs> finally did all the 
most wonderful shows, Carousel, Oklahoma, and yeah, all those, and did leads in those shows. So then I felt, good okay, now I can go to New York and stand up in front of people and say, well, I already have this experience, mm. you know, so I have some some strength to work from. Do you, remember, do you remember how you got your equity card? Yeah, I got my equity card from a business theater, an industrial show in Milwaukee, and in, in Chicago for uh, American Standard... Uh, plumbing products <laughs> <laughs> thank you american right. standard plumbing products i feel like we don't have as many of these industrials that that with that higher equity actors that write original shows can you just tell us a little bit about what industrials were like uh well industrials know? were were big time business and they were here in new york for a long oh, yeah. time too you know they were there were shows like the millican show and stuff that yeah. put actors to work in big shows they were big shows and you got paid a nice amount of money and um in Chicago at the time, uh, I did a lot of them in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, Pure Oil and uh, American Standard, as I said, and uh, all kinds of business shows. And they just kept you alive, and even a little better than alive, you know, because they really paid well. And so you could go out and do, they, they, some of them did tours, <laughs> and uh, some of them would you just do one big bang-up show yeah. and there were producing companies in Chicago that did these things continuously wow. all the time so a lot of uh, people were kept working now I've always tried to I always tried at that time to keep working toward doing plays shows and but I would there were other ways that were keeping me alive like I did a lot of musical theater reviews mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, highlights of Broadway and hits of Broadway right. and blah 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 and I do those and then I got tired of I did that in Denver for a long time. And then I said, I'm, I'm going to Chicago, and I'm going to do shows. I'm going to get into back into theater. So I went to Chicago, did a few shows. That dried up, and then I was doing industrials. And then I said, I've got to get out of this industrial thing. I want to do shows. <laughs> so uh, a, a, a man named Gary Gisselman was just starting the Chanhassen Dinner Theater oh, yes. in, in Minneapolis. Still there. Still yeah. there, oh, yeah. still going strong, stuff, yeah. and but this was its very beginnings. I did the second show there, and then did all the shows for a year and a half. But I was doing, I was doing shows. I think we were living in a, my wife at that time, Georgia, and our young daughter Jennifer. We were living in a converted chicken barn, and <laughs> we were doing, and uh, both Georgia and I were doing shows at Chanhassen, and uh, a year and a half of doing shows at Chanhassen. So. Wow. Th- that I was living my dream, you yeah. know. After Chanhassen, then I went and did a couple more shows and then headed Back for New, New York, York because yeah. then I thought, okay, enough with the dinner theater, enough with this. I'm going to go figure it out. What's the first show you got in New York? Jacques Brel is alive and ah, well. Yeah. And living Jacques in Brel. Paris. And I did that at the Village Gate Yep, and then toured with it also. So that was like my first, uh, my first show. What was your audition song that you used a lot? Uh, at my, uh, I had a, an agent who said to me, um, she called me one day and she said, I've been seeing you at auditions and I didn't know her at the time. I've been seeing you in auditions and you always sing, you sing Joey, Joey, Joey. Mm-hmm. And she said, I just love to hear you sing that song. Would you come in and talk to me? And I said, yeah. So she brought me in and then she was my agent for all my years really oh, wow uh, wow uh, well, joey 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 yeah her name was dorothy scott okay. at a at an agency called marge fields okay and then what came next for you after well the jacques Brel? you know i was going to say that uh, uh i got my first broadway show which was comedy which in which 
George Irving was Which in. Which we would love wife. to talk about because you met your wife there. And this, some of our fans and friends may not know, but this comedy, a musical comedy, was the title of it, I yeah. believe. What was the title? Uh, comedy. A musical was it comedy. Called, no, it was called A Musical Comedia. Ah, Comedia. I couldn't a read the writing. Comedia. It was a, it was a typical Comedia dell'arte show but set to music and the writers were the writers who did maggie flynn uh hugo peretti yeah. luigi creatore although they didn't write that they of wrote course the, they stole it they from stole some it. right that's right oh, they were don't sued quote on me, it don't quote me <laughs> no allegedly, i read that on allegedly <laughs> and they wrote i can't help falling in love and maggie flynn if anyone yeah, knows that they, no they were big pop writers oh yeah guys. yeah so what yeah, was uh david weiss and well we you know it was uh first of all every great comedic character actor in New York was in that show because yeah. they were all the Commedia characters right. and uh, we were we were the young lovers my wife now Marty and I and a girl named Sue Ellen Esty who's uh, still working a lot mm -hmm. and um, and uh, Jack Witham who's married to Beth Fowler mm. who I just saw at Pat Elliott's huh. memorial um. Um, the other day and uh, but so you know all these uh, Friends are still uh, kind of close, you know, right. not close, but friends, still friends. And, and, and we should, I'm so sorry, we should mention really quickly that George's wife is Marty Morris, who yeah. is, in her own right is a brilliant oh, yeah. actress as well. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, who are some of the comedians or uh, comedio players? Joe, <laughs> yes. Joe Bova, Joe Sakari, Jerry Soroka, Diane Findlay. Uh, George S. Irving, George S. Uh, Bill Munchen, Bill, Bill McCutcheon, Bill, Bill McCutcheon, Bill McCutcheon. Thank you, thank That's you, it. Bill yeah. McCutcheon. And uh, there were more too. Frank Vos. It's a good group of people. It, uh, well, they were they were amazing. And as, as I mentioned earlier, the director and writer. His name was Larry Carra, oh. and he was from Carnegie Tech, and he was a world famous. Uh, he knew all about Commedia, world famous authority on Commedia. And so he wrote this show, put it together, got these guys to write the music for it, and then he directed it. But he was a little sketchy. He was quite old at the time. And as I mentioned before, there were times in rehearsal where we would have a run through in front of him and he would nod off. Ooh. You, know, you say, don't want to see that happening with a comedy show. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good sign, I mean. That's right, that's right. And uh, so he directed the show, so it was interesting because we went up to Boston and we tried out in Boston. Colonial, and yeah. He would, these great character actors who already were huge and had big careers that's and funny. were well-known in the New York theater, yeah. he would get us all out on stage and start ranting and raving about, do I have to teach you people how to do comedy? Do I have to go back to comedy 101 here? You're making a big mess on the stage. You know, and he just was ranting, and all these guys would just kind of sit there and look at each other and, and take this, you know. But the show, he couldn't get it put together properly, and so it uh, it folded in, in Boston at the Colonial Theater. Yeah. But the interesting thing was before, while I was doing comedy in New York, while, I, while we were rehearsing comedy uh -huh. in New York, Hal Prince was auditioning for A Little Night Music, mm -hmm. and he was looking for, they, he had it pretty well cast, but they were looking for this character of Frid. And uh, at that time, uh, Frid was rather an important character, and he had a big song, and, and, but he was supposed to be, at that time, they saw him as an American who was observing the Swedish people. 
Oh, I that's why that. he's saying silly people about them. Yeah, and because uh, he was supposed to be a kind of a wise American lad, you <laughs> commenting know, on it, the yeah, outsider. who was working yeah. in Sweden at the time or something like that. So, <laughs> so yeah, so he was an American, and so they were. Hal was looking for this certain person to do this role, and he couldn't find him. I knew of guys who had auditioned for this role, like. Ten times they had been brought in in over the last, you know, or maybe it was four times over the last ten months. But he was looking for that character and never found anybody who fit his idea. Mm -hmm. He has a certain idea of what he wants. And so he told Joanna Merlin, his casting director. We just talked to the other day, actually, yeah. He said, Joanna, I'm not seeing what I need here for this. So go back to your files. I've seen everybody Go back to your files. Go dig in your files and see what you can find for me, because we've got. I've got to see more. I've got to see some other people for this. So she went back in her files. I'm way back in her files somewhere in the back. She pulls me out. She calls my agent and she says, "Is is George in town? Because he's never in town. Whenever I call you for him to come and audition, he's never in town. Because I was out trying to make a buck, right? Yeah, and and like you do. So I was." out in New York a lot, although I lived here. And my agent said, actually, he is in town. And, and Joanna said, well, can I'd want him to come. Is he doing anything right now? And she said, yeah, he's rehearsing um, this uh, com- comedy show. Yep. And Joanna said, oh, well, Hal... Hal hates that. He's not. He doesn't ever want to. Not he hates comedy. He right, hates no. pulling people right. who oh. are already working yes. out of a show. He yeah. doesn't ever want to yeah. do that. As a matter of fact, Marty was supposed to have an audition for for a little night music, and she told Joanna that she was doing this comedy show. And Joanna said, "Well, Hal will not is not going to see you then." Wow. So she didn't get seen for this. But they were looking for this guy, and Joanna said, well, Hal's going to want to know that if she likes George, he's going to be able to have him. And and Dorothy, my agent, said, oh, don't worry. If he gets night music, he'll jump out of comedy because he's on only a four-week in comedy, so a four-week out in comedy. So you don't have to worry about that. So Joanna says, okay, uh, bring him in. So I'm during a rehearsal day for comedy, I went over and audition and they were looking for an american and at this time i was really kind of like a cowboy personally i was like a cowboy i wore cowboy boots i wore levi's i wore probably a cowboy shirt and i had kind of longish hair and and i just looked like a kind of a cowboy hippie and i got up (laughs) on stage and i sang oh what a beautiful morning for my audition i didn't know they were looking for an american or anything like that but they're looking at me and all of a sudden oh they want an american here's a cowboy who's singing oh what a beautiful morning for us, you know, so uh, I sang for them and on stage. Uh, you said I, on stage. I love that. I love that. Back back when auditions were on stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, these were like in the callback times. Yeah. So mm. I sang for them. I went back to rehearsal. I got a call later. Dorothy says they want you to come back this afternoon. Can you come back this afternoon? And I said, Yeah, I'll just make it. A, I'll, I'll get out of here somehow, and I'll go back. So I went back the same afternoon and sang again for them and left and my agent called me later that day and said you've got it you're doing it they wow you're doing night music an that audition and a callback in the same day bam bango it was just hal said <laughs> and cast yeah yeah audition yeah. callback cast. <laughs> yes yeah no really it was like wham bam and uh 
But Hal had saw something and said, okay, yeah. let's go with this, you know. And so Brilliant. I went back and had to tell Marty <laughs> oh, yeah. that I was doing night music. And she said, how can you, you can't do night music. And I said, actually, yeah, I'm doing night music. And she said, oh, I auditioned for that. And they wouldn't know, they wouldn't let me audition for that. So, but we did it together later, of oh, course. Good. Of course. We yeah. did the tour together. Yeah. And yeah. We did it in Arizona together. And we yeah. did it. But uh, so that was my first intro to Hal. And yeah. that was like life changing, of course. Well, so tell us about the rehearsal process mm-hmm. of what has become a masterpiece in the American musical theater. You mean night music? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, not, not comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was very, uh, actually, um, I've said a few words at this Pat Elliott uh, memorial, who, of course, won the Tony for the Countess. That's right. Just yeah. passed away in the last couple of months. And uh, she was, of course, brilliant. And it was a very, and what I wanted to say when I said my words about the night music time was that, it was a very heady time. And all of a sudden, we were in the midst of the Broadway, the real Broadway, the, the, you know, the most incredible Broadway situation and p- dealing with people, seeing people, Comden and Green, Julie Stein, uh, you know, Stephen Sondheim, going to parties at their house, going to parties at, at Hal's house. And, mm-hmm. and, but not only not only the parties but just the work just going to work every day and seeing those people work and seeing this this show come together and yeah. of course you know it's one of the most beautiful brilliant shows oh, and yes. so to be working on it was uh, a huge thrill and since i was frid it was a very it was a very it was not an easy show to work on because at that time Hal was sometimes difficult to work with because he wanted things a certain way. And this had to do with really that he was producing that show Mm. as he had done all the shows up until that point. Mm -hmm. And so he was hard on people. How so? Just, you know, he was difficult. He was was not happy-go-lucky and having fun so mm-hmm, much mm-hmm. as getting what he wanted and getting what he needed. Product, and yeah. so he was he was rather difficult on people. I didn't have that problem because I my part in the show was rather small, so small that I was more I could be more like an observer. Yes. But the young actors and the new actors in in uh, like uh, you know like Pat who this was her Broadway debut and Vicky Mallory and yeah. Mark Lambert and, and mm-hmm. Larry Guitard and people like that, uh, it was sometimes hard on them to come to work because Hal was very strict and very difficult. When, when in rehearsals did your character change? Yeah. When did it go from being an American outsider to... I, it actually had changed before we went into rehearsal. Mm-hmm. He had become he became Swedish, mm-hmm. and, and uh, so with the he, cowboy hat though. Yeah, just, yeah uh, yes, yes. So I didn't wear cowboy boots in the show anymore. But uh, so he became Swedish. But and uh, the interesting part of that was Stephen had written more than one group of songs for this show. Mm-hmm. He wrote a whole group of rather dark Chekhovian songs originally for the show and Hal listened to those songs and like there was a song two fairy tales which yep. you know about yeah. and there were other songs 
And in talking with Hal, Hal finally said, no, this is not, this is too dark. We have to light, it has to lighten up. It's not going to fly if it's not, it doesn't have a lightness and like a bubble, like a sham, like yeah. a champagne bubble. It's got to be like that, you know. So he said, so these songs, they're not, can you do some more different songs where the show will be lighter? Yeah, and and so he did that. And as the time went on, the only song that was left in the show from the earlier score, from the earlier music, was Silly People. Wow. A rather dark song. And dark in its underpinnings. I mean, in the orchestration, you can hear it on the, the Sondheim uh, tribute album. The tribute, album. yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that brilliant, brilliant orchestration by Jonathan Tunick. Oh. Stephen really wanted, still wanted to keep that song in the show. They wanted that song in the show, but they had Send in the Clowns and they had Miller's Son, and all these songs were right in the second act. And all of a sudden, you got a guy coming out singing a rather large song. Mm-hmm. You don't even know this guy. <laughs> you know? True. He's the butler. Right. You know, he's not any kind of a major character in the show. So they just were like, you know, we can't have this guy singing this big song at the end of the show, uh, toward the end of the show. So, and, But Stephen would say, yeah, but we need this song. I want this song in the show. I want it in the show. So it stayed in the show for three weeks. I knew they tried to keep working it a certain way, make it very sexy or make it, they tried to do different things with it. And so I could feel that they were working on it to try to make it work properly. But I wasn't surprised when after three weeks of doing it in the show, they cut it. Yeah. Which left me with opening on Broadway, my Broadway debut in a Stephen Sondheim show not singing a note. <laughs> really? I didn't sing anything else in the show, just yeah, that song. Amazing. Yeah. That, now, most of your scenes were with Hermione Gingold, is yeah, that right? Yes. What was it like working with her? Oh, Hermione Gingold, I always say that if I would have been smart, I would have taken notes when I from the first day of rehearsal when I started working with first of all the show itself, but if I could have just even just taken notes on Hermione, I would have had a book. A, a really wonderful, funny book because <laughs> she was brilliant and in her kinky, crazy way. And she had a kind of wit like the old time, like the Lunts and Noel Coward yeah, yeah. and those people. Uh, they, they had a certain kind of a wit mm-hmm. about them. I mean, you would you could see it sometimes if they were on a talk show, you know, or like with Dick Cavett or something mm-hmm. like that. You could feel, oh, these people are working on a different level in terms of wit, you know. <laughs> totally. They're amazing. And and Hermione was of that group. And and so she was just continually quipping through the through the rehearsal period, through the show, saying things and a lot of times under her breath and then it got to and and, and then if I would laugh cuz I was standing next to her all Always. the time as her butler. Yeah. If I would laugh, then she'd say it out loud. You know, <laughs> you're, you're, you're the the I was like, yeah, yes. I was her, I was the out of town tryout, <laughs> and uh, she would just come up with brilliant things continuously, and I mostly laughed at all of it, really. Yeah. And um, but I spent a good amount of time with her, and she was lovely. Oh, when I lost my song, when I lost Silly People, mm-hmm. uh, it was an interesting day. We would all come into the audience and get notes from the show the night before. And so 
Larry Guitard had been waiting for his new song, which was in praise of women. Mm-hmm. Until that time, he was singing a song called Bang. Mm-hmm. And oh, he right. was just yeah. waiting for this new song to be given to him, mm-hmm. continued every day. Finally, all of a sudden, Stephen comes in with Larry's new song. So I sit down in the audience with Larry, next to Larry, and he says, look, I got my new song. And he puts his song in my lap. And I'm looking at in praise of women, and he's looking over my shoulder. And all of a sudden, Hal walks in to start the, to, to start the note session. And he says, well, the bad news for today is we're going to do the show tonight without silly people. And oh my gosh! Silence and Larry, because everybody knows, everybody knew what this meant to me. Mm-hmm. And Larry le- looks over at me, and he reaches over and takes his <laughs> song back, and he says, "Poor baby," <laughs> and puts the song puts the song on back on his lap. And um, I just saw Larry the other day at this mm-hmm. at the memorial. Lovely, lovely man, yeah. and. Uh, so that was, but I like wasn't surprised, or I thought, okay, it's the axe has finally fallen. Mm. But everyone was very sad. So we, I went. Then he went through the rest of the notes, and he called some people up on stage to work on something. And I was in that, but I wasn't on stage right away. So I went around uh, onto the stage area, and I sat almost on the floor, like in a, on a rail, a small rail, just at the side of the stage, alone thinking okay and Hermione comes and comes is walking past me and all of a sudden she looks over and she sees me sitting down there and she comes over and sits down on the floor with me and just sits down there with me and finally she looks over at me and she says you know in this business you have to be like a rubber ball they bounce you down and you have to just bounce right up again and then she gets up and walks away. That's great. <laughs> That's, and that yeah. was so lovely and uh, so amazing for her to be that uh, commiseratory. Yeah. <laughs> Is that and, a word? Yeah. And but it, just, uh, that's good advice for this whole business, it's really. really truly, I mean, it's the advice for this business. It truly and, is. And uh, we remained uh, really wow. good pals for all the time we, we, we spent together. She yeah, was, that's special. She was an amazing amazing woman came time for the auditions for the tour and i thought to myself hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. There's nothing really for me in the tour. I'm... I'm I'm not right for Carl Magnus. I'm too young for Frederick. I'm too, you know, so there's, I'm not I'm too old for Henrik. I can't, couldn't sing it anyway. 
because it's that tenery craziness. (laughs) And so I thought, but it's important, I think, to go up and stand in front of Hal and try and do Mm. something. So I put my name down to try for Carl Magnus because I thought, never, he'll never cast me as Carl Magnus, but I got to put my name down somewhere to Mm -hmm. do it. So I signed up and I went out for my audition. I had an audition and I went out and I sang whatever it was I sang for Hal and Joanna Merlin comes backstage and she says Hal wants to see you for Frederick <laughs> I said what for Frederick I was 30 and and uh, Jean Simmons was in her late 40s and f- f- what so she said yeah he wants to see you for Frederick so come back next week and age up a little bit age up a little bit and think of yourself as Frederick and come back in because he wants to see you for Frederick I said, okay. (laughs) So I went the next week. I put on a suit, not cowboy boots. (laughs) (laughs) I put on a suit, a tie. I put a little gray in my hair, you know, a little gray in my mustache or whatever. And uh, I went out and sang for Frederick and walked off stage. And I'm standing around backstage. And all of a sudden, Hal comes backstage and says, it's yours. (gasps) Wow. And so I got Frederick for the tour. He went back to the office and he said, George Lee Andrews is doing Frederick. And everybody was like, what? He, he's too young. He can't, do, he can't do Frederick. And Hal said, no, no, it's going to be great. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> so you do the tour yeah. with Gene Simmons and you're playing Frederick. Um, and then you come back to New York. What's, what's next for you when you come back? Nothing much happened after the tour. I mean, Marty and I were on the tour for over a year mm-hmm. and... We came back. There was nothing. I hadn't been in New York to audition for anything, so right. there was really nothing. I went. She actually went off to do um, night music in in Falmouth, Mass, with Patrice Munsell oh. as Anne. And I went out and visited my earlier family uh, in Denver. And uh, all of a sudden, oh no, we went to. We took our money that we earned on the tour, and we went to Europe for six weeks. Oh, that's good nice. for you! And we just bummed around Europe. We had a, a blast, kind of a, a, a pre-honeymoon because we hadn't been married yet. But huh. yeah, we had a Hal has been my guiding star. You know, Hal Prince has been my guiding star through these, through my New York years yeah. Yeah. in the theater. I just lucked into that thing, right place at the right time. So important in theater, yeah. and it just you gotta. If you love theater, you got to wait for it, and hopefully it's going to happen to you sometime around the corner. But Joanna Merlin pulled out my thing from the back of her file, and I happened to be in town, and I happened to be available, and I happened to be a cowboy. And, (laughs) you you know, know, so I got on this lovely Harold Prince train, and then, you know, Hal is in a lot of ways taking care of me, and really, not the least of which, I mean, there were long periods when I didn't work for him, but then always something would pop up, like I did, as we talked about, starting here, starting now, Mm -hmm. and then at the opening night party for starting here, starting now, Hal came up to me and said, ah, I'm doing, we're doing on the 20th century, and there's a part in it for you, Ah. and I'm like, Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> because I, yes, you because know, I was making four cents doing starting yes. here yeah. right now, and I had a family starting, and but then so then I got that show, and then of course, you remember how Hal Prince came backstage and said, "It's yours." Yeah, yeah. 
Well, then everybody's auditioning. Everybody in the whole town are auditioning for Phantom of the Opera. And I had been out. I'd already worked for Hal, of course, a lot, but I was out in the hinterlands doing something else. I don't know what, for a long time. Got back in the city, walking on Columbus Avenue at a fair, I, we run into Judy Prince and Daisy Prince. Mm-hmm. And was, hey, how are you doing? Oh, it's great to see you. I haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah, what's Hal doing? And Judy said, you don't know? And I said, no, we've been out of town. And she's like, well, last night, Hal opened a Phantom of the Opera in London, and it's the biggest hit in London theatrical history. It's the very biggest hit. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's brilliant. That's the first I had heard anything about yeah. Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> I said, that's brilliant, that's brilliant. So we talked with them a little bit, but then a year later comes down the pike and they're auditioning for the show here. Go to the auditions, get an audition, go to the auditions. We walk in the audition, Marty and I, because Marty plays for me at my auditions. And every character actor in New York is in that theater <laughs> to audition for Phantom of the Opera because everyone knows... Phantom of the Opera is definitely going to be a hit, and it's going to run maybe five years, maybe you know, maybe three. You know, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a hit. So we want into this show. So I audition with all these amazing, I mean, amazing actors there, and and uh, I sang something, and how's it? Way from way back in the audience, I know that Cameron McIntosh. Andrew Lloyd Webber, they're all out there and they're talking and Hal, just wait a minute, wait a minute, just stay there. And I'm hearing them out there and hearing Hal saying something, no, no, you, this, this is the thing. He's going to be done and he'll do this. And I think they were saying, yeah, but no, the this part that he's auditioning for, which was Donatilio, the uh-huh. the old guy in the in the comedy, comedia, yes. not the comedia, the Mozartian yeah. Yeah. opera. He's he in London. He was the understudy for the Phantom. He was the the understudy for the Phantom. Oh. So they're saying no. If this role has to understudy the Phantom, you know, which I couldn't do because it's out of my range. And how saying no, no, don't worry about that. We'll let me have him. He can understudy the managers, and then we'll have someone else understudy. In fact, right. I've got the person understudy the Phantom, and so he Hal engineered this, you know, so that I could get in this thing, and then he says, he, I'm standing up on stage waiting, and finally, all of a sudden, Hal gets up and toddles down to the very edge of the stage and says, come here, I really want to get you in this show. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like... Yes. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. So I walk off stage and tell Marty this, and she's like, oh, holy cow. So I get in the show, and then not only does he get me in the show, but he keeps me in the show, mm. which, to tell you the truth, the London, the producers, Cameron McIntosh, the way they work is, and this is true, especially in London, they don't like anybody to stay in a show for more than two years, anybody in Leeds, because huh. they feel they made a blanket decision that th- those people get stale. So in London, you don't stay in a show for longer than two years. You get in a show and that's it. So they wanted to do that in New York too. But Hal considered the New York company of Phantom to be his, his, mm. and that he would have final say in it. 
and that's the way he because he said no this this new york company that's my company and so throughout the years that i was in phantom cameron mcintosh and the brits really wanted to clean house Mm. and wanted to get rid of people in fact they went through a big thing about in about the seventh year no it was about the tenth year (laughs) <laughs> where they said, where they said, okay, no, we've got to get, everybody that's been in the show for more than seven years has got to go. Wow, he did it with Les Mis, I remember. Yes, very famously. Yes, yeah. but uh, but actually, Les Mis deserved it at that time because it was kind of a mess. Yeah. <laughs> All the schoolboys were like forty-five. Yeah, but Phantom was yeah. Phantom has always been clean and strong and yeah. amazing. Yeah, right through the run. So. They said this to Hal, and Hal said, I don't know. I don't want to do that. I don't want to get rid of people. And Kristen Blodgett said to him, well, you know, I was playing Fear Matt at that time, the the more dour of the managers. Kristen said, well, you know, George should be playing Andre. (laughs) And Hal's like, that's it. We'll switch him. We'll switch him. We'll we'll switch the two managers, and that'll shut those people up in London. <laughs> and so that's what we'll do. So let's go into rehearsal now. Put them, put those guys into rehearsal, and then we'll switch them in the roles. And then, uh, so they did that, and we went in. They were getting rid of other people. You know, they were people yeah. were losing their jobs that didn't really need to be losing their jobs, but they were. Mm-hmm. And we rehearsed. And then we had a run-through on the stage, a dress run-through, with us in the opposite, in the other parts. And we finished the run-through, and we all stopped, and we looked at Hal, and he looks up at the stage, and he says, Oh, my God, missed cast for 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's amazing. And so then we did, so then, so I did the one manager for 10 years, and then I did the other manager for 10 years. And they kept trying to get rid of me and Hal just would say no no I like the show to be the way I wanted and I like to come back after not being there for a year and the show being in the shape that I left it in yeah. I don't want to have to go in and try to teach somebody new the show again the, I, George knows what I want he knows what I know what he's doing I want him to stay so then it got close to the 25th anniversary and, and Cameron just finally put his foot down and said, and Hal fought it. He fought it. I know he did. People told me. They said Hal really is really upset about this, and he really fought to not have you be going. But uh, finally, Cameron said, "No, I want to do this because I want to really be able to advertise that it's a whole new thing for the 25th anniversary." And and then they were lovely about how they let me go. Yeah. And I walked out of the office after not being renewed. And had no idea that this was going to happen. And I was like mad for like two hours. And then after two hours, I was like, wait a minute. What am I mad about? This is this is fine. This is great. You know, get me out of there. Let me go on yeah, and else. do something else and get, get going. And because this has been, my idea of what this has been is... A huge, huge gift. Oh yeah, oh sure. And which, of course, it was. Oh yeah. But I loved it the whole way through. How many performances did you play? Because there is, you are on the Guinness Book of World Records. That is incredible. Yeah, I think it's. If you got you it, know, I have it right here. Actually, nine thousand eight hundred. Three hundred and no, yeah, nine thousand. Yeah, and eighty-two. 
9,382. That's what the Wikipedia says. That's, that's right. That's right. 9, I, I mean, over 23 years. As right as it can be. Yeah, 23 and three quarters and years. And who had the record before you? Marion Seldes? <laughs> no, seriously. Are you serious? No, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I already, I was just For laughing. Uh, trap. Yeah. I think. Oh, yeah. Wow. Um, I, yes, I think so. That, that's, yeah, but not as long as that. But no, yes. but yes, no, there was like two and a half years. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'll do 23. Yeah. Yes. We'll throw down the gauntlet. Yeah. Well, the reason you could yeah. say, you know, the reason there was no question about whether that had, I had done that or not was simply because no show had ever been on Broadway oh, right. longer oh, yeah. than that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was in. in every one of those shows that it was on Broadway. So Gosh. that's why that all fell yeah. into place, you know. And Did, then, so were you no? So you weren't able to take a. You weren't really able to do any other projects. Or, yeah, I could have done other projects. They were they were okay about if you came to them and said, "I could." Would there be a chance to do this? Yeah. Not another. Probably another. Well, even then, maybe another possible Broadway tryout or a Broadway show. You know, you could get you could get a leave of absence, but you know, <laughs> I was so happy with where I was. Yeah. yeah. And oh, so yeah, happy with. Being able to step out on that stage every night in that wonderful part, mm-hmm. in that brilliant show, with every night a full audience, you know, every who night, it. full house, <laughs> yeah, who, loves who it. is ready to eat it up, yeah. and who's been waiting to get there to see it, and so excited about seeing it. That's what you walk out into every night in the show, yeah. and it's a great show, it just seamlessly put together yeah. by Hal. And and uh, in in that gorgeous Maria Bjornsson oh. setting and costumes yeah. and yeah. so I was like, what am I? Why am I trying to find anything else? You know, yeah. I'm I'm not the kind of guy who gets tired or bored. That's not. That's why I've been able to stay in live theater mm. and do like I said, eight shows a week for fifty years. Is because my approach was always stay right alive in the show when you're there and on the stage and not only that just try to improve every night you can always improve you can improve vocally you can improve dance wise you can improve acting wise let try to make the comedy work better you know let something fall because that always changes and the audience always changes and there was nothing about the situation that was unhappy i will say that i went through some periods of physical it was physically hard because mm. i had hurt myself or something or and also there were times when it was mentally hard yeah but i always worked through those and knew that i could work through those mm-hmm. and allowed myself to work through those knew that there was the other side where all of a sudden you come out free again and uh, so that's always how i approached it so i was never in any kind of need to get out and do something sure and also really to be to tell you the truth, I had two lovely kids who were in school. They, When I started Phantom, they were 6 and 10. So they were just starting their big school situation. Yeah. I could be in New York. I could pay my bills. I could walk them to school every day. I could be with my family and not have to go anyplace else to do anything. And, you know, I was in just in kind of a, a little bit of heaven. So yeah. I... Stayed there. And then uh, Kristen Blodgett again, who's, you know, another lovely friend and uh, mentor. Yes. She texts me one day, just like a month or so after 
and said, you know, we're here auditioning for Evita. I'm here with Michael Grandage, and, and we're, we're saying that, you know what we really need in this part? We need a, a George Lee Andrews voice. A, a type of a George Lee <laughs> Andrews voice. You're a type. I love it. And she it. said, all of a sudden, I thought to myself, well, hell, let's call George <laughs> Lee Andrews. Because I know he's not, I, he's not doing anything right now. So would you like to come in and sing for Michael Grandage? So I said, yeah. So I went in and then ended up doing that lovely, really brilliant. Oh, I love yeah. that production. Yeah, that, I, that production of Evita. It's a, it's a testament of relationships, too, how important relationships are in this business. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. and then I did, I did that and did it for a year and danced. Yeah? Dance. And that was a dance show. And and I really had to dance. Nice. <laughs> and uh, that was amazing. And that cast, I mean, I'm still close with my people from Phantom, but yes. this Evita cast glommed onto each other. And we all, we have a thread on Facebook and we're always talking to each other and we're getting together. We get together for reunions all the time oh, yeah. and talk to each other. And, you know, so it's very close. But... Uh, so then there was that. And, That's, then, and it was refreshing, too, probably, to yeah. do something that wasn't, you know, well, another Angela Weber, but yeah. different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I have to ask you, after you left Phantom, did you ever go back and see it? Did you ever go as an audience yeah. member? Yeah, yeah. Is that surreal? No, I went back the night after I, the night after I left. Uh, uh, the next night, my, <laughs> my son-in-law, Aaron, was in my part. His son-in-law took over. Son -in -law Isn't took that amazing? Over my son-in-law Isn't that poetic? Took over for my part, and uh, and uh, keep it in the family. That's just incredible. And then he did it for like a year and yeah. a couple of months. Yeah. Did you and, give him any notes? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah. George, no. That's right. I don't need to give him That's any really notes. That's really cool. That's really One cool. One of the things that uh, Kevin and I like to do is we do a little word association. We might bring up something and just you know a memory or an anecdote. Uh, Merlin. What I love about Merlin is that you can see the opening number on Blue Gobo. Yes, and on YouTube. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and uh and it's really kind of amazing and that was such a that was a lot of fun and but they couldn't figure out what to do with it and so we like previewed for like 8 months. Mm -hmm. You know, and finally, the, all the critics got together and said, "No, you have to open this <laughs> because you're charging full <laughs> price and you're calling it previews or you're, whatever they were yeah. doing." Right. And so you have to open it. So finally, we went through so many. We went through four or five choreographers, four or five directors, and finally, uh, and I played this old Merlin character. Mm -hmm. I played Doug Henning as an as an old Merlin. Mm -hmm. Christian Slater was. Doug Henning as yes. a young he keeps Merlin. coming up in our conversations yeah. with people, <laughs> yeah. and so uh, so I was this old Merlin character. So Ivan Reitman, mm -hmm. the great Ivan Reitman, uh, director of Ghostbusters and right. blah blah blah, he finally took over as director. He was producer, and he finally took over as director. He said, "No, I'm gonna I'm taking over as director now." So he took over, and he said. We're going to have a big new opening number, and it's going to be and and George is going to sing it. <laughs> so all of a sudden, I got to be I got to do the opening number, be the main character in the opening number, and like introduce the show. Brilliant! And it's a fun opening number, Brilliant. by the way. It's great. Yeah. It's a great and, opening. And Marty number. was in it too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And so that's what's on. So that was on the Tonys. 
So that's what's on Blue Global. So you can still oh, see that. We'll post, post it. it. Yeah, we'll post it on our Facebook. Uh, Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. For sharing this with us. Yeah. I was going to say you're Truly. the luckiest man, but you're also you're so talented. It 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 explains why you get so many great things. And it's yeah, I, it's amazing. I mean, lucky. Yeah, really, really big time lucky. But as you say, you got to be able. That's the thing. You know, you say to people, okay. People say, well, what, how do you do it in this business? Well, you got to be lucky, and you got to sometimes wait for that luck. So, but you also have to be ready when the luck clicks to be able to capitalize on it. You got to be so able true. to walk into it and say, and make it work then for you. So, you, it's not just that you're going to walk into something out of nowhere and be lucky in the right place at the right time, but you also then be able to have to be able to stand up and be able to take that responsibility. That's why probably I always felt it was smart to learn a whole bunch of stuff about myself as a performer and as a leading performer for 10 years outside of New York right? and get those jobs under my belt so that when I came to New York and someone said, okay, Jacques Brel, or someone said, okay, you know, this or whatever, you know, that I was able to step up and say, okay, I can actually do this, you know, I've, I've learned how to do this. Totally. So. But it's but yeah I can't I mean I can't discount uh, the beauty of the luck I've had and you know getting in close to Hal and uh, having the luck for him to enjoy what I do yeah. so that he yeah. could keep using me true, you know keep putting me to work you know I yeah. mean that's it's all a matter of its art it's a matter of taste so. If he, if, you know, if it turned out that he didn't get off on me as a person or a performer, then none of that would have happened either. So it's a crapshoot. But <laughs> well, I will say this: I, I think that we are the lucky ones yeah. for, you know, we've gotten to enjoy your performances for so many years, and I'm so happy so much of your work is preserved on video and YouTube. And it's a great resource for a lot of our younger listeners right. to get exposed to the brilliance of George Lee. And we can't wait to see more. And we can't wait to see more. Join us next week when our guest is everybody's favorite game show host and Broadway icon, Peter Marshall. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.